while you are standing, show David how much you love him today. Show David how much you love him. Thank you, son. Wonderful, wonderful. You'll open your Bibles with me to the Old Testament to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 23, and remain standing while I read from verses 6 through 14. want to welcome all of our uh, first-time guests here to the New Beginnings Community Baptist Church. We are an expository teaching and preaching church, and that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time. Family? So we invite you, if you are interested in studying God's word in-depthly and understanding what the Spirit of God has to say to you, come join us. Amen? We love to have you along with us on the Bible bus. So glad to see so many of you here today. I want to thank Reverend Mason for knocking it out the park last week. I call it for God. Good to see you, man. Love you, buddy. Thank you. And then Reverend Bruce hit it out on Wednesday. Thank you for him. Reverend, thank you so much. Amen. I have some great men in my life. I am truly indebted. When they all get churches, I'm going to be crying up here all by myself. Amen. But I'm enjoying the ride while I have it. Amen. If you have 1 Samuel 23, verse 6, say, I got it, Pastor. All right. Now it happened when Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Calah, that he went down with an ephah in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Calah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has, no ga that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city for my sake. And when the men of Calah, whether will the men of Calah, Lord, deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Calah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600 of them, arose and they departed from Calah, and they went wherever they could go. And then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Calah, so he halted the expedition. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Amen. Amen. Turn to somebody good looking and say to them, neighbor, neighbor. oh neighbor, oh, my pastor, pastor. going to preach today about staying one step, one step in front of your enemy.
right. All right. One step in front of your enemy. Brothers and sisters, the older I get in life, I start to become more reflective. Those people 40 and older talk to me. We start to look back down. We call it memory lane. And when I look back over my life, it's true that I've always lived just one step in front of the enemy. While I was born to a good set of parents, lived in a pretty good set of circumstances, death was always on my heels. Even when I gravitated toward the streets and experienced the hardships of gang activity, the enemy was always on my trail. Am I talking to you? And it's true, New Beginnings, that every one of you, too, has at one time or another experienced life running from the enemy. Somebody looking at me right now. Death is chasing you down. Sin is on your trail. The devil is out to get you. And your own sinful nature won't let you sleep at night. You running from the enemy. Enemies have a way of just making the child of God live life on the run. Y'all going to help me through here today? David in today's text is in the thick of life. And Saul is trying to kill him. And the whole country knows that the king is out to kill David. But God had anointed David to be the new king of Israel, but Saul never got the memo. He's still occupying the office. And a demonic influence in Saul's heart and mind is making him pursue a man that ain't done nothing wrong to him. Have you ever been there? Has somebody ever bothered you and you don't know why? You can relate to David in this text this morning. I got a question right here because Saul is a good picture for you and I of the old nature. He's a good picture of the evil one. And he's a good picture of the world. All three of those that are pursuing the child of God to try to take them out. Got a question for you. Won't sin chase you down to hurt you? Y'all going to talk to me? Won't the devil chase you down to destroy you? Won't your fallen nature chase you to the point where it's trying to get you to misbehave? Saul becomes a good picture, I tell you, of all three of these. And so today in this text, we can see just how David is learning to live one step at a time in front of the enemy. We can learn, Brother Crawford, from this text that God sometimes will let the enemy pursue you even while God has a plan for your life. We can learn today that just because he allows the enemy permission to pursue doesn't mean he gives him access to harm you. I said he'll let him chase you, but that don't mean he give him access to harm you. Y'all in here today? I feel my help this morning. Sometimes, here's what I discovered in this text, Mason. Sometimes God lets him run you 
so you can look to him for your escape. Or else we'll go through life figuring up our own roots. That makes sense? So to keep you focused, to keep you fit, <laughs> and to keep your mind on him, he let him chase you. Am I making sense there? I got three points today, and I'm going to try my best to get out of here. I got a little headache, so pray for me, okay? Number one, I want to talk about the escaping priest. The escaping priest. Number two, I want to on the board for you. Number two, I want to talk about the enemy's plot. The enemy's plot. And then number three, we'll land the plane looking at the essentials of prayer. The essentials of prayer. If you're ready, say, I'm ready, Reverend. I'm ready. Well, look at verse six with me. The text says, now it happened when Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Calah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. That verse is loaded. So let me unpack it. When we come to this point of the text, we see a very interesting theme emerging in Samuel's writing. The background presents us that there's a war happening. And King Saul had just murdered an entire village called Nob. The village was a priestly vis uh, vis uh, village. They, they represented the Aaronic tribe. And Saul went there with his army and killed every priest representing that village. Because he thought that they chose David over him. But when we get to the text, it says that Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, he got away. Tell somebody, he didn't get them all. One priest was saved, and he was the son of the high priest, Amalek. And when he flees, he flees down to David, right, who has now 600 men with him. His family, mother, father, and brothers, and they have come to make David now their new captain. So when Abathar runs to David, he's running in a particular manner. Can I tell you what it is? He's fleeing, number one, for his life. But he's fleeing also for the ministry. Are you with me here? And he's also fleeing for his legacy and his lineage. If he don't make it to David, the priestly tribe of Aaron get cuts off. And there's nobody to run the temple in Israel. Y'all hear me now? So he flees with the rest of those who don't agree with Saul. And they're now running to the new king, David. Because God is moving in his life. I wrote myself a note here, Reverend Brown, good to see you, that when he leaves, this man leaves everyone, leaves everything he knows, everything he loves. And when he comes to David, he comes to him with a broken heart, a head full of tears, and a weapon of prayer. Watch the text. It says, the Bible says he ran to David and Caleb with the ephod. 
Can I turn the light on right there? Bible students would ask the question, well, what is the ephod, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. The ephod was the high priest's royal vesture. It was that assigned piece of gear that God gave Moses to give to Aaron to wear in his work inside of the temple. Whenever he, the priest, was to go into the temple, he had to wear this vesture. He wore it on behalf of the people. Let me tell you why. His vesture was a symbolic piece of clothing, Sean, that said he was clothed in the righteousness of Yahweh. Are you with me here? And the ephod is what it was called. It was distinguishing in all of its essence. In fact, it distinguished him in the presence of God from anyone else. It was the thing that God allowed him to wear into the holy of holies, symbolizing that I've ordained you to stand on behalf of humanity in a place where no man can go. Can I say some more? The ephod was a dyed type of raiment made of fine linen. Some say it was fine purple and scarlet and gold. And on the top shoulder plates of it, there was said to have the onyx stone colors inscribed with the 12 tribes of Israel on the road. So whenever he went into the Holy of Holies, he went representing the tribes. Can I say some more? On the breastplate, it was said to have the tribes of Gin written across the chest. And so Jewish writers ascribe this piece of uh, clothing and, and um, this, this holy piece of wear. They call it the ephod. And they said that priests were to wear it in the temple when they interceded for the people and in battle when the kings went to fight. It was the presence of God on the man of God, representing the people of God. Stay with me in here. So when he hears that Saul has killed everybody, he runs to the temple and he grabs the ephod. And then he runs down to David. Okay, okay, I'm not working hard enough. Let me give you some more. Why the ephod? All the, all the stuff to grab in the temple. You could have grabbed the candlestick holders that were holy in their essence. He could have grabbed the holy vessels that were used for the sacrifices. Come on in here. He could have grabbed all the other articles, but he only took the ephod. Can I say some more? He takes the ephod because he thought that that's what he needed most in the warfare of that day. He took the ephod because he wasn't thinking about himself. If he's going to stay in the presence of God, he ain't going to do it on his own. He's taking the whole tribe with him. All I'm trying to say is he was thinking about other people while he was running for his life. 
the ephah would help him to stand in the presence of God on behalf of Israel in spite of the evil injustice that just happened to his father. Now, how many of us can be praying for others when our own world just crashed in? Am I talking right here? It was his priestly order, and he understood the times and the danger in which he was in. But nevertheless, he stayed in his office. Nevertheless, he continued to operate in the place that God has called him. Can I, can I argue for not quitting in ministry because it got hard? He ain't quitting in spite of what happened to his family. He ain't quitting in spite of what happened to his village. He's not quitting in spite of the injustice that has jacked up his world. He is still saying, no matter what, I've been ordained to do this. And I can't quit because it ain't got a little tight on me. Ask your neighbor, is it a little tight in here? This ain't in my nose, but I need to say that some of y'all rethinking about being mom because it ain't what you thought it was going to be. Can I tell you, if he gave you that baby, you've been ordained to nurse him. Don't you leave that baby with somebody else to raise. That's your baby. God ordained you to bring it up. Why are you trying to put it off on somebody else? I'm coming down your road, parents. Daddy's here, I come. God blessed you with a son. You want to let somebody else raise him? You've been ordained to be daddy. Are you with me here? You don't abdicate that role to somebody else. That's your ordained position. Uh, don't try to give him to grandpa to do it. Grandpa done did his. Am I talking to you? When we look at this, the priest, he escapes from the presence of the enemy, but he's running to join like-minded people who are in the same battle. Boy, that sounded good to me. I guess I want to ask a question right there. Who are you running with? Preferably you running with people that's in the same fight you in. Am I talking to you? They ain't fighting nothing else. They fighting the same enemy that's trying to kill you. That brings some allegiance right there. Let me give you the point number two, the enemy's plot. Y'all in here? Verse seven. Don't make it up. Look it up. Verse seven, the text says, and Saul, he was told that David had gone to Caleb. Uh, somebody snitched. Tuck that away. And Saul said, watch this now, God has delivered David into my hand. For he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And then Saul, Sister Sister McBee, he called all the people. Somebody say all the people. In other words, this was a king mandate report for war. And I want you to go down to Kayla and besiege David and his men. Loaded text. Let me unpack it. When we come to this portion of the text, we discover that Saul has received a tip that David is down in Kayla. 
He's no longer in Nob. And immediately he decides, watch this, that God has delivered David into his hands. Y'all already know where I'm going. Isn't it ironic that the text suggests that Saul, who's doing harm to God's children, all of a sudden thinks that God is on his side? Oh, this text speak to us. Saul said, God has delivered him into my hands. Saul thinks that God is going to help him to murder David. Saul thinks that God is promoting wickedness and evil. He thinks that God has given him the green light to misbehave. Watch your feet. Here I come. Saul thinks that God has set him up to be victorious against God's man. This is what I call foolish theology. Can I stay in here? God never promotes foolishness like this. God doesn't empower the enemy to destroy or kill his children. The enemy is already motivated to do that. Are you with me here? Somebody might think you mad at God because some evil happened. Don't get it twisted. God ain't evil. And God don't do evil. And God don't partner with evil. Evil is motivated on his own. Can I say some more? God don't set his kids up to be murdered for sport. The enemy is already in the game to steal, kill, and destroy. God don't work with Satan, the world, or the flesh to do his children harm. They are enemies of God, doing what his enemies always do. Come on in here. Somebody who mad at God. Somebody who angry because something bad happened to you. Why it happened to you? Because it happened to everybody else. Evil and wickedness is in the world. Doing what it's designed to do. God ain't the author of evil. However, God does use trials, tribulations, and trouble from the enemy. Why, Pastor? To get your attention. But he never does it because he's partnered with evil or evil is part of his works in your life. No, God is not evil. God is the opposite. God is love. Am I making sense there? He's not down with evil. He cannot be evil. He doesn't ordain what is evil. It's against his nature to empower a man to kill another man. You can't tell me you killing in the name of the Lord. That's bad theology. Sin inside of a man's heart does this on its own. Am I making sense here? It's against God's nature to empower the sinful nature. Y'all, can, I, can I argue that some more? God comes to destroy the sinful nature. That's why you must be born again. He doesn't empower you in your sinful nature to do anything from him. He kills the sinful nature, then empowers you. <laughs> I, I, you, just been, you just got theology right there. 
Am I making sense here? That's why there's a war going on in your head and in your heart all the time. Because the sinful nature is trying to fight against the God in you. Am I making sense here? Can I tell you that God don't participate or collaborate in your sin? <laughs> yeah, Flip Wilson was right when he said the devil made me do it. He wasn't lying. Sin does it all on its own. Why? Because sin, Satan, and self are in rebellion against God. This is an interesting text. Saul tries to say that God is hooking him up, and now he gets to kill David. I see another observation in the text, though. The Lord does see Saul. He does know what Saul is doing, Elodie. He's aware of Saul, but he has not sent Saul on a mission to kill David. Saul's own sinful disobedience and satanic influence is driving him to misbehave in an evil manner. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you start to misbehave and then you start to think that God is hooking you up? With something that's against his will. I know y'all quiet. I know you're quiet. Well, act like I'm talking about somebody else so you can say amen. Come on. Have you ever been there? Have you ever got so far out there in your sin that you thought God was blessing you while you was doing wrong? Where my, where my gamblers at? Because you win a little few dollars, you're talking about I got blessed. God ain't in you gambling. That's when your theology started getting missed. That's how you know you done got too far out there. Come on in here. Look up. Quit fiddling around with stuff. Look up. Look up. You done got too far out there in your sin when you think God started blessing you because you winning and blackjack. That's bad theology. Just my that's bad theology. Oh, I aim to mess up your gambling technique today. I aim to mess it up. <laughs> Have you ever thought that the Lord okayed your decision to go against his will? You, you ever thought, come on, y'all, be honest. We ain't going to get married yet. We're just going to live together. You know, the Lord know our hearts. After all, he wants me to be happy. So we're just going to live like this and see if it really works. We're going to pray together, Reverend. We're going to have Bible study. We're going to see if, it, you know, if, if this is the Lord's will. Your theology done got too bad. That's bad theology. You done got too far out there when you start to think God is blessing your sin. Oh, I got more to say. Y'all might as well just hold on. I'm on point two. I'm going somewhere. Am I making sense? When God gives a husband a role in marriage and gives a wife a role in marriage, he gives you those lanes for a reason. And when the wife or the husband in Christ gets out of your role, 
gets out of your lane, your sin will try to theologize your misbehavior. The reason why I'm doing this, girl, because he ain't being the head. So you going to be the head? Oh, it's quiet in here now. You just got too far out there. When you try to justify the desires of the flesh against God's word. Don't you think the Lord is down with you in the midst of your sin? Don't you think the Lord going to come behind you and bless your sin? You know, you know what that is, right? I'm going to go do something I know God is wrong and cool with, then I'm going to ask him on my way out, Lord bless me. All I can tell you is you ain't got nothing coming. No, that's not right. You do got something coming. The consequences. Okay, don't say amen. I'll play it for myself. Sin has consequences. I don't care how old you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what gender you are. If you sin against God, against yourself, against your neighbor, that sin has consequences. Can I tell you, God don't erase the consequences. The consequence must happen so you can learn from your behavior. My mama used to get ready to whip me and say, I know you sorry, but because you did what I told you not to do, don't you move your hand. Don't you. I know you sorry. Don't you move. She wasn't whooping me because she was mad. She's whooping me because she set a law in the house. If you do this, that's going to happen. Consequences. Tell three people consequences. Consequences. I don't know how I got way out there. But all I'm trying to tell you is Saul and lost his mind. He didn't got so far out of the will of God, he can't even discern the truth of God. He can't even discern God's voice. And he is so caught up in his sin and so bent on killing David that when he gets an opportunity, he thinks it's from God. It's like uh, um, Paul says to Timothy, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Are you with me here? Who am I talking to this morning? Somebody, you right there, you right there, you living right there. God's trying to speak to you today. Stop doing whatever it is you're doing and thinking God is in the middle of it. Saul said, I want all the people to come together, verse 8, y'all see it, for war. And I want y'all to go down to Caleb and besiege David and his men. Look, here we discover that Saul and all of his evil, daughter Taylor, and his bad the theology, he calls for all the people, whether he commands or orders them, to go with him to war against David. 
you should get a good picture right here of how the flesh, the world, and the devil operates against the child of God. Number one, when the enemy thinks he has you cornered, he always calls for reinforcements. You ever heard of a situation going from bad to worse? Yeah, yeah. The enemy, the enemy always asks for help to destroy you. Saul believes that David is shut in with no way of escape. And so he's calling for backup. When the flesh can get you to misbehave, it tries to get the world now to get on its side. You know, the flesh say stuff like, everybody doing it. Y'all just old-fashioned. You just, reverend just need to get with the times. They doing it on the East Coast. They doing it on the... They doing it up. And they doing it. Everybody doing it, right? Y'all ain't going to say amen. And then the devil gets involved, right? And heightens the temptation. Ah! Okay, I'm the only one, Elodie. I'm the only one, darling. It's just me. It's just me. But that thing, when I give in to that temptation the first time, it becomes harder and harder and harder to not give in the 10th time. In fact, the 12th time, it ain't no saying no, period. I'm just, it got me. Hey, come on to me. I'm, I'm locked. I'm detained then, okay? Whatever you want to Am I making sense here? Y'all see how the world, come on, y'all in here? How it gets, it calls for reinforcements. And that's what Saul is doing here today. So I need to tell somebody, I need to tell somebody, Brother BJ, that the spiritual battle is real, son. Watch this. I wrote myself a note, Sister Wilson. Baby, just because you don't hear shots fired don't mean the enemy ain't on the move. Sometimes he just reloading that clip. Y'all in here? Just because he ain't caught up with you yet don't mean he ain't had the meeting. Just because you won the last skirmish, Brother Darius, and he ran for his life, don't mean he ain't mounting up an army to come and get you. I think in Saul's mind, he's trying to figure out how he can get David this time where ain't no way he can escape. So he's calling in all the troops to go down a little bitty Caleb. And to get him. I wrote myself a note. Brother Manuel, that Satan is always plotting. When you slipping, come on. He ain't slipping. Can I tell you that your flesh is always plotting? Oh, come on, talk to me. Come on. You know, you know, sometimes you can pray at night, get in your bed, and wake up like, where did that dream come from? Huh? Your flesh don't sleep. Uh, you trying not to look at your husband or your wife. I know. Come on. Because they wasn't who you was dreaming about. Ah! Keep it real and stay in the church. Just tap him to me. He, he talking about my flesh, baby. He talking about my flesh. 
Are you kidding yourself? If you don't think your flesh will go there. I know you good and married. Come on, talk to me. But your flesh don't care nothing about your vows. All right, all right. I'm, I'm preaching, but y'all ain't all right. The world is always plotting. The devil's always plotting. And the flesh is always plotting. Now turn to your neighbor and say, man, help me, help me, help me. I discovered something else in this text. Watch this. Don't, don't, don't ignore it too fast. Brother McDab, this is powerful. As soon as Saul got the word, he looked for the opportunity. As soon as he got the word, David's in Caleb. He started looking for the hookup. I got him now. As soon as he got the word, he moved into action. As soon as he thought it was clear, he was ready to engage. And you know why? He had a warrior's mentality. What, what do you mean, pastor? The man was wired to kill. He had blood on his mind. He was being led by a satanic influence that was poised for him to kill David. And that became his whole motivation. You read from 15 all the way to 23 in those chapters, you see Saul and left running the kingdom. He just focused on killing David. Okay. Y'all ain't never been fixated on something. You know what it is to get fixated on something? Can't nothing else interrupt what you fixed on. You just, you got to do this, everything else going to wait. That's what Saul is in his diabolical thinking. So can I say some more? So one of the brothers say, open it, here I go. Saul's teaching me, brothers, that I can't sleep on my enemies. He's teaching me, daughter Sandy, that I don't need to put anything past them. Okay, let me just give y'all some hood talk. Don't get caught slipping. He's teaching me. I don't need to get comfortable in my temporary place of security. Y'all in here? He's teaching me that just because I relocate don't mean he won't find me. I no longer live where I used to live. But I don't mean I can sleep on him. Some of you ain't no longer drunks or addicts or thieves or liars or whoremongers. You don't live there no more. But just because you live on Holiness Avenue don't mean he won't come good to you. Am I making sense here? I was talking to Tom this morning. We were joking. The only safe place in the ring to fight is in the corner after the bell rang. And you only there for a few minutes. And then it rings again. Ding, ding. And here he come. Tom said, how you doing? I said, I'm in between rounds. <laughs> oh, you ought to tuck that one away. 
Somebody tweet that. I'm in between rounds. I'm in between rounds. Isn't that something, y'all? Right now, you're either in the fight or you're in between rounds. Well, we've talked about escaping priests. We've talked about the enemy's plot. Now let's look at the essentials of prayer as we stay one step ahead of the enemy. Y'all in here now? Y'all gonna help me preach it? Somebody say, preach, Reverend. In verse 9, the text says, when David knew. Ah, that's good. In verse 8 said, when Saul knew. But now, oh, y'all caught it there, okay. When David knew that Saul plotted against him, he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Oh, I like that picture. Then he said, O Lord of Israel, your servant has it certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city for my sake. Lord, will the men of Calah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O oh God of Israel, I pray. He talking to the Lord, y'all. He said, I pray your servant. And the Lord said, he'll come, David. He's coming. And David said, will the men of Caleb deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, yeah, they're going to deliver you. Notice this, guys. When you arrive at verse 9, we see that Saul, again, has secretly plotted to kill David. And he reveals his military operation. The word that's used in the old King James literally describes Saul was forging out a military campaign. That's war language. To kill someone. And, and, and the military campaign was diabolical Tate, in nature. See, but God made David aware of it. Now you should be shouting right there. There's a war going on, but God makes you aware that they out to kill you. Can I argue about It's one thing to know you're about to get killed. It's another thing when you ain't got a clue. Am I making sense here? In other words, God exposed Saul. He revealed it and made it known to his child. This text is saying to you and I that when David knew what Saul had done, watch this now, David did something about it. Y'all see that right there? He found out because God revealed it. But, but God, yeah, after revealing it, didn't do anything else. <laughs> Stay in here with me. God, yes, took what was happening in the dark and brought it to the light so his son could see it. And all God do was advise him. God didn't do anything else. Y'all in here? Or he didn't say anything else. Stay with me through here. It was up to David now to do with what God had revealed to him. I lost some of y'all. Because some of us will won't move 
When God revealed the enemy trying to kill you. You know he trying to kill you and you'll just stay there. Okay, God, what should I do? I didn't show you what to do. He trying to kill you, but there you are. As if you didn't hear him speak. Can I argue? God won't do everything for you. I'm going to mess somebody up right here. I'm going to mess you up. Sometimes he'll intervene and fight for you. Other times he expects you to fight for yourself. He'll show you what's about to come your way, but he'll stand back to see what you're going to do with what he done already gave you. <laughs> I know you want to be a robot. God don't say robots. He say people. And when his spirit lives in you, his spirit will guide you. Come on, talk to me. I like this text. David said to the priest, bring the ephod. Right? Because God had exposed what was happening. But David, David needs more information. And once he knew, yes, that Abathar had come down and he had the ephod and this is how God spoke to his people at that time. David wanted revelation. I like this right here. Here you see David doing something with the information he received about Saul. He, and guess what? He don't wait for another sign. Saul's around the corner. Saul's coming up the door. No. He don't wait. <laughs> he already had a confirmed message. He's trying to kill me. The next thing he do is take it into prayer. Y'all with me here? Come on, stay with me. In prayer, what? guess what he does? He uses his intercessor. Can I argue for a good pastor and member relationship? David was not allowed to wear the ephod. Only the high priest could wear the ephod. This is one time when David is glad to see the priest coming to him with the ephod. So he cries to Abathar, come, bring the ephod. I need you to intercede for me. Can I help you understand the pastor-member relationship? When God places you in a local body and gives you an under-shepherd, that under-shepherd's role is to intercede on your behalf. But if you don't ever come to him, I don't know how to intercede. Come on, talk to me. Sometimes your battle is whooping you because you haven't did anything with the information you received about the war. You know it's a war. You know they trying to kill you. But you got to do something. The thing that David does is say, Pastor, pray for me. Can I open this thing? The priest and the ephod go together. It's an ordained service and practice that God has positionally placed him there for. 
For situations like this, you need the priest and the ephah. <coughs> David knows he needs to know what the Lord has to say. And so he goes to the priest to get the answer. Verse number 10, I got to get out of here. The text says that David, after the priest makes intercession, David's request through the priest, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah, look at his question. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord answered through the priest, he'll come. And then David said, well, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they'll deliver you. Look at this last piece with me. When you arrive here, a steady friend in my library said this, brother preachers, you'll appreciate this. He said that David's prayer is asked in two questions. But there are two questions, Will, that are in the logical order of importance in David's mind. Look at this. David hears about Saul's mission, but he doesn't ask about his mission. He already knows he's on a mission to kill him. The first question he asks is, will the men of Caleb get down with Saul? Are they going to join him? Are they going to give me over to Saul? Why, 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 why does he ask this question? Well, David understands warfare, but he don't understand human nature. Can I say some more? He just had made a treaty with the men in Cala three, four verses ago. He fought for them, right? And he thinks they're his homies. He thinks they're his brothers. He thinks they're his friends. And so he got to ask God, God, would they do that to me? God, are they in my corner? God says to David, watch who you call yourself friends with. Yeah, they're going to do you. Circle that. <laughs> Circle that. Yeah, they're going to do you. They ain't down with you, David. Can I say some more? David just needs to know who his friends were in the city. He needed to know who would stand with him in Kayla if he stayed there. Ashley, daughter, he, he knew Saul was on the move because Saul had always been on the move. David just needed to know who would stand with him. If his enemy showed up, I want you to ask yourself a question right now. Is those friends you got now really your friends? Will they stand with you when the world comes against you? Will they stand with you? When Satan comes to take you and your babies out, will they stand with you when you become your own worst enemy? Who's your friends? God tells David, they ain't got your back. The second question he asks is he asks, then will Saul come down as your servant has heard? God says yes. He asks this question, Brittany. I believe when, when he gets here, he's praying for clarity. 
Y'all with me here? In other words, he already knows he's on the move. He just wants clarity about what Saul is actually doing. Here it is. His second act is to clarify what's being seen now in the unseen realm. God, I know he's on the move. I know he's coming down. But is he, what's he doing now? David wants to know what God sees and what God knows about his enemy's progression. In other words, he don't want hearsay. He got that already. He don't want happenstance. He knows that already. He don't want gossip. He wants divine insight and descriptions. Play-by-play commentary. Because his life is on the line. I don't need no more messengers who's hiding out behind bushes giving me a play-by-play commentary. God, what's he doing now? Am I making sense? Then, then David, the Lord answers. Then David says in verse 12, watch this again. He goes back to the men of Kayla. Will the men of Kayla, watch this now, deliver me? And then he says, and, somebody say and. And my men. He didn't ask about the men the first time, but now in intercession, he's asking about, God, what about these? Will the men of Caleb not only turn me over, what about these who fought for them and protected them? Are they going to turn against my community? Isn't that powerful? God says that he will. I got to hump some of this off. Boy. It's good. So go to the blog, the NBC blog, and get the notes and read it, guys. Let me hump it off. In this passage, you can discover the heart of a leader right here. His life is under attack. His ministry is under attack. But guess what? He ain't just praying for himself. He starts to pray for everybody who's rolling with him. God, I know they want to get me, but what about these? He, he, he inquires about the lives that are at his stake or, or in, his, in his command. I wrote myself a note. Man, a good pastor ought to pray like this. A good leader ought to pray in this manner. You ministry leaders, those people who are following you and helping you, make sure you pray like this over them. You friends, a real friend, or pray for another friend just like this. This is what it looks like. You husbands, you wives, sons and daughters, you ought to pray for the ones you love just like this. A soldier never leaves a soldier behind. Am I making sense right there? I'm encouraged by this. Because the Lord answers his question through prayer. In prayer, God gave him a better understanding about his situation. In prayer, the Lord opened up the enemy's strategic plan. In prayer, God showed David what he needed to do. In prayer, God made plain what wasn't already known. In prayer, God pulled back the veil of the supernatural and made mysteries unknown aware to somebody living in time. Prayer 
However, stay with me here. God still didn't fix it for him. He revealed it, but he didn't fix it. What do you mean, Pastor? Because some things you got to do for yourself. Sometimes he reveals everything you need to know, but expects you to do the next thing for yourself. God, do I need to get out of this relationship? He's going upside my head. Yep, you need to get out. Leave. Sometimes you try to make it too deep. Come on, talk to me. God, on this job, they're against me. They're against you. They're against your word. Do I need to stay here? No. God, my kids are in a horrible place. They're in a bad neighborhood. There's drive-by shootings every night. They're trying to kill my baby in the public school. Do I need to bring them home and homeschool them? Yep. But you got to do something with what the information he gave you. <laughs> the hard thing about practical theology is it never seems practical. But that's how God speaks. God, I can't make it. I'm about to lose my job. Do I need to go get another job? Yep. Why are you waiting for the job to come to you? Well, let me land the plane. Because of God, David was one step ahead of the enemy. But David still had to decide what his next move was going to be. So he prayed. Got more answers, but he still got to move. So the Bible says in verse 13, look at his move and I'm through. David and his men, there's about 600 of them. You see that? You see that? He departed from Caleb. He got out of there, didn't he? Somebody say kudos for David. But look at this. They went wherever they could go. Huh? What do you mean they went wherever they could go? They didn't have a plan? Then when it was told Saul that David escaped from Caleb, he halted the expedition. Let me close when I tell you this. When you close in this narrative, David and his men move out when they get the word from God. But when they depart, they depart in an unorthodox manner. In other words, they have no certain destination. But they leave Kayla headed wherever they could go. When I first read this, I thought, man, that don't make no sense. Did you just disperse the army, y'all on your own? No, no. What happened? They knew they couldn't go to the Philistine country because they were wanted there. They knew they couldn't head back toward Jerusalem because Saul was waiting on them there. They couldn't head toward uncharted territories because other enemies lived around Israel. So they had to head to the place where they couldn't be discovered. They went into the wilderness. They went into the place of the stronghold. Now look at the strategy here. David gets them in position. He says, now y'all go hide. Knowing that if Saul came down, he would never find them in the stronghold. And he couldn't get them all together to kill them at the same time. They had to split up. Can I tell you, every now and then, 
you got to split up. Every now and then, you got to go your way and hide in the stronghold. So the enemy can't destroy your family and mine. Sometimes it's necessary for you to leave the place that you thought was safe. So you can get to the place of stronghold where God can be your provider. <laughs> I wish I had the energy to run it. But they went in a stealth mode. They went where they could not be found. They went, Johnny, where the enemy could not get to them. This was the strategy. Since Saul sought to kill him, he couldn't kill them all in one location. But if they all stayed in Kayla, he could kill them all. I was thinking about this text. I know I'm way off cue. I thought about ISIS, Al-Qaeda, all these cells. You know why they're so hard to kill? Can't find them. But that's not a new strategy. It was happening in David's day. The best way to run from your enemy is get to a place where he can't find you. Can I tell you today, you got to hide from your flesh. You got to hide from the evil one. You got to hide from the world. How do you do it? You got to hide in a strong place. You know where the strong place is, right? The word of God. You know who the strong man is, don't you? Jesus. You got to hide in the place where the flesh can't find you. You got to hide in the place where the world can't get you. You got to hide in the place that'll defeat the evil one. The word of God is the stronghold. It's the place that keeps you covered. In the midst of the storm. Well, I'm through preaching now. But I'm so glad that I got a strong place to run to. When my flesh starts to misbehave, I just run to the word of God. When the enemy tries to close in and conquer my soul, I just run to the word of God. In Jesus, I have everything I need. In his word, I have everything I need. Because of what he did for me at Calvary, he strengthened my position in him. Because of what he did for me at Calvary, he took the sting out of death and victory over the grave by dying for me, Darius, that I might be victorious in the day of the battle. I ran across this poem and I thought I'd bring it to you today. It's called Into the Day and the, and the unknown writer says this. I got up early one morning. And I rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't have time to pray. Troubles just tumbled against me. And heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. And God answered, you ain't never asked. I said, I tried to come into your presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently, lovingly chided. Why, son, didn't you just knock? I wanted to see joy and beauty, God, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I called on the Lord, 
for the reason. God said, yeah, but you still didn't seek. So I woke up early this morning, and I paused before entering my day because I had so much to accomplish. I couldn't afford to take time and not pray. Somebody looking at me today, you hit the floor running without asking for instruction. Somebody looking at me today, you're about to make some decisions, and you ain't considered God one time. Somebody looking at me right now in the midst of a career change, and you haven't consulted if you should talk to the Lord or not. That poem was so powerful, I closed my books, and I ran across this story. It's a story about a man, old man they call praying old man high. Dr. Wilbur Chapman wrote to a friend, he said, I've learned some great lessons concerning prayer. At one of my missions in England, the audience was exceedingly small. But I received a note saying, there's an American missionary in town, and he's going to be praying down a blessing on your work tonight. He was known as old man praying Hyde. And almost instantly, the tide returned that night. The hall became packed, and at my first invitation, 50 men accepted Christ as their Savior. And as we were leaving the auditorium that night, I said, Mr. Hyde, would you come to my room? I want you to pray for me. Old man Hyde came to my room, turned the key in the door, and the first thing he did, Sister Zuniga, was drop on his knees. And so Chapman says, I waited five minutes, ten minutes. And not a single syllable came from his lips. Then I could hear my own heart thumping and his heart beating. And suddenly I felt hot tears running down my face. And I knew I was in the presence of God. Then with an upturned face, down while he was praying, tears were streaming. And I heard him say, oh God! Then for five minutes at least, he was still again. And then... When he knew that he was talking with God, there came from the depths of his heart such petitions for me that I've never heard before. And I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. Chapman closes out this letter. He says, we believe that prayer is mighty and we believe as we never believed before. My question to you is, do you have an old man like that in your life? Somebody who's been with God, who can pray and move heaven. Are you that kind of believer that prays and people wait for you to pray for them? Prayer is how you stay one step ahead of the enemy. So what have we learned? Let's recap. Number one, you learn that when you pray, God reveals the strategies and the plan of the enemy. Number two, when you pray, he will give you instruction. Number three, when you pray, you will get encouraged to move out and do something with what you heard. And number four, there will always be evidence when you pray. Bow your eyes with me, your heads with me as we pray.